Tonight we're going to pick up where we left off last week in the book of Mark. We have been rolling through the book. And tonight we have uh, a lot of ground to cover. Um, The good news to that is that uh, we have a lot of good passages to study through. And then the bad news to that is means you have to listen faster. Mark chapter number 2. Last week we uh, we opened up the beginning part of this chapter where they brought the sick man to Jesus and they lowered him down through the roof and we talked about making an effort to uh, to bring others to Christ to uh, take advantage of opportunities not advantage but take the opportunities that are given to us. We saw uh, several different uh, behaviors from the different from the different characters, if you will, involved in this beginning passage. We saw people who uh, definitely had a strong conscience to to uh, a strong mentality to bring someone to the Lord, and then we saw other people who didn't have that uh, that mentality, that spirit. About them, and that would be, as usual, the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, so we're going to pick up here in verse number five. The Bible says, But when they saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, this is Mark chapter 2 and verse 5, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. So at this point, uh, the next several passages, and even leading into the next chapter, there are five discussion panels, if you will. And each panel, what I call a panel here, is a different area where these, where these people, these scribes and Pharisees, are questioning the Lord Jesus. We just go through a series of them here, so we want to look at each of these questionings, these Panels, as I have them broken down, and just try to try to see how the Lord handled Himself throughout each of these. Okay, and in uh, this this first one right here, it begins in verse number six. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. And as we said last week, you know these people they did a lot of thinking. And uh, they did too much thinking. Uh, In verse number 7, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Well, Lord, they just didn't have all the pieces of the puzzle put together. They're absolutely right. Only God can forgive sins. So, you know, one plus one is still two, okay? So, but they didn't have it all together. They refused to accept. Jesus Christ. So they begin to question his power. And remember how a few weeks ago when we talked about prayer and we looked at um, how the Lord Jesus started his prayer as, you know, telling us how he ought to pray. And he started with our Father which art in heaven. So this is a acknowledgement beginning with a recognition of God the Father and his position. And once we recognize the person of God, then we can recognize His position, who He is, 
And then once we recognize those two things, then, Brother Lauren, we can acknowledge the power that he has. But the Pharisees doubted the power in the Lord Jesus Christ because they didn't accept him as God. They didn't accept that position that he had. And so here they are uh, reasoning these things in their hearts. And so Jesus' response in verse number 8, it says, And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? So Jesus, you know, we've talked about him being uh, a preaching man and a prioritized man. You know, we've gone through the P's. Well, he's a v- very much a perceptive man. He knows our thoughts. He knows what we're thinking. And verse number 9, Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed and walk. So he's answering their question with a statement and a question for himself, from himself. And so in each of these five scenarios we want to look at, uh, four out of the five, he answers their question with a question. And um, I recall listening to the uh, a Christian apologist. He recently passed away, Ravi Zacharias, and he was talking about this. And he said that when the... When you question your questionnaire, you are forcing that person to open up within their own assumptions. You're causing them to to uh, bring forth the content or the context from which they're coming from. It, it determines the intent, the reason why they're asking this question. Now, the Lord already knows why they're asking this question, but still... He, he's wanting he's wanting them to to uh, I want to say to think a little more. I mean they they thought plain, but he, he was trying to you know direct their thoughts a little more here. So you know a good example of this is in uh, Mark chapter number ten. We haven't gotten to that yet to that passage yet, but in Mark ten verse seventeen it says, and when he was gone forth in the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him. Good master, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered him, he said, Why call thou me good? There is none good but God. So basically what Jesus was saying, he's saying, Are you calling me God? And if you're calling me God, are you going to listen to my answer? If you're not calling me God, then where do you get good from? So you see how he turns it a little bit. You know, why... What exactly do you believe, you know? And so, Jesus responding this way, um, he, in his response in these manners, we see his, his, um, his steadfastness, his, uh, he stood his ground. He didn't back off. He didn't back off because he knew what he was there for, faith. And he knew, you know, he, he had all authority. He had no reason to back down. And so, as servants of Christ, when people begin to question us, Brother Roger knows that God has called him to pastor this church. 
So if a random person were to come up and start questioning him about it, he thank God he hasn't backed down from his position because he knows the calling that God has given him to lead East River Baptist Church. And so, uh, you know, people, they, they do try to set us up. Some will, not all. And sometimes, and quite, quite frankly, most often, you probably don't have to respond with a question when they ask a question. You know, you, you don't want to be a smart aleck with them, you know. But um, when people begin to set us up, you know, some people, you have to, you got to dig into them a little bit. But when you dig a hole into them, let's make sure we fill it in with the Bible. Let's you know fill it in with the gospel. And so the Lord, he he continues um, in verse number ten. He says, "But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins." And that's what he said. And then he said again to the sick of the palsy, "Arise and take up thy bed and." Uh, and go thy way to your house. So his purpose in that setting was to let people know that he had the power to forgive sins. He took that opportunity that came to him, Brother Jeff, to proclaim that to them, to preach that to them. So, you know, he was, uh, Jesus, he, he did everything with a purpose, okay? So, you know, because he was a prioritized man, because he was persistent, he stayed after it. Faith, ultimately, he was very productive. He was a productive man. So, you know, Brother Lauren, in order for me to be productive in my Christian walk, I need to follow these same character, these same traits that we're seeing in this book from the Lord Jesus Christ to do that work uh, completely. That the Lord Jesus, that God has given us, because the Lord Jesus, you know, He was uh, He was faithful all the way to the cross, and then even after the cross, and He's still there, doing what God has uh, intended for Him to do for us. So people, people will come along, and they will, they will doubt our responsibilities to God, they will question us, why exactly do you do that? Why exactly do you do this? And it's been happening all the way from the beginning, people trying to make Christians doubt. You can go all the way back to Adam and Eve when the devil tried to cause doubt. And, you know, we know how that turned out. Doubt in the heart of Adam and Eve. And so, you know, it's important for us to to daily remind ourselves of what God has given before us and then not to forget the power that is in God. And therefore, because of the power He has, I'll be able to do what He's asked me to do. Psalm chapter 77, verse 14 says, Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Uh, it also says in, in the Bible that the heavens declare the glory of God. He had this power. He created the worlds. First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, He raised up Jesus Christ by His own power and says, and will also raise us up. First Peter chapter 1 verse 5 says, Who are kept by the power of God 
through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. That's dealing, that passage there is dealing with eternal security. The Bible says, Sister Debbie, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit and He has the power. And as long as it's God's power holding on to us, nothing is going to break that loose. That passage in 1 Peter, you can read the verses before that, I think it's verse 3, it says that there's an inheritance that fadeth not away. We talk about investing in the eternal rather than the temporal, investing in heavenly things instead of earthly things. Paul, he stressed it to us to, uh, to think on things that are above and not things that are below. And the reason why is because the things that are above, they don't fade away. They are everlasting and so uh, I, I encourage us tonight to, uh, you know, as those kind of people come along our way, you know, and question what we're doing, and we're going to be looking at more of that here in a minute, when they question why we're here at church, that we just not back down in what we're doing just because they question it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. When they question it, they're providing us the opportunity to then talk to them. And so then it's important for us to make sure that we, that we remain uh, in prayer and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Um, God is still powerful. He is still on the throne. And uh, regardless of what happens with this election, even if the you-know-whos <laughs> become, you know, they get the power, you know, because you know why, in the end, you know, they're still not going to get their way because one day they will they will face God. They will they will bow their knee including those people. Okay? I don't I don't want to say their names. They will bow their knee and they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God says not merciful to the evil doers. If he sees their tears on that day, he's not going to back off from it. He is a just God. It says in Psalms that they will be cut down and wither like the grass. He's a just God, and he will justly punish them. That was free. It sure felt good to say, too. But you know... I pray that somebody would come across their way, you know, and spread a little light to them. You never know. And uh, despite all the harm that they're trying to do to this country, and, you know, the diff- we, we keep saying we live in crazy times. We've been saying that for the past eight years. It's been getting crazier and crazier and crazier. I've been hearing that all my life. These are crazy days, Brent. It's never been like this. Really? Okay. <laughs> Every year of my life, it feels like it gets crazier and crazier and crazier. So, you know, it must have been nice to live back in the 60s. I don't know. <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> they questioned his power. And then... uh in verse number 13 of chapter 2, we have the calling of Levi, Matthew the publican. And he went forth again by the seaside, verse number 13, and all the multitude resorted unto them, and he taught them. 
And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom and, laid un- and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. So now we have a, a, chain of scenery, a change of scenery. There they are in his house. There's a, there's a gathering. And verse number 15 says, And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him meet with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? So now they're questioning his, his, uh, his presence being with sinners. And then verse 17, when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this is the one questioning out of the five we want to look at tonight where Jesus does not answer with a question, but rather comes back with a very plain and very logical reasoning to their question. Basically, the scribes and Pharisees, what they said was, uh, if we translate this to today's time, what they're saying is that we shouldn't be around sinners, you know? And if we're not around sinners, well, then how can we reach sinners with the gospel? If we're not supposed to associate with sinners, I mean, think about the new believers that we've had join this church. The Boltons, what a blessing it has been to know them. The Joneses, Brother Mark, it's, it's mandatory for us to be around sinners, not joining the things that they do, you know. Jesus, you know, we're to be in the world, but not of the world, not a part of them, okay? They didn't have, the scribes and Pharisees, they didn't have an outreach spirit like the Lord Jesus, the Lord, He knew who He needed to reach. He knew uh, where he, need, he knew His place. And so here they are. They continue making an effort to bring the Lord down. Um, rather than bringing others to Christ, all they wanted to do was take Him down. Okay? They watched Him closely. And, you know, just as, just as, uh, just as they watched the Lord closely, people around us are watching us. I remember talking to Brother Mark Keller uh, at the beginning of of his Christian walk, and he he sent me a text one morning, and he said, "Brother Brent, I tell you that this uh, that this is I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but he said I feel like everybody that I used to be around they're looking at me with a six foot magnifying glass, you know? They're they're watching everything I do." And I told him, I said, it's because you're a different person, mm-hmm. because of the person that's now in you. Mm-hmm. And so people are watching us, and again, it creates the opportunity for us to be a light to them. You know, a light shouldn't go out. We turn this light switch off when after services, but our light shouldn't go out. Jesus Christ is the light in us, and that's not, you know, that light doesn't require power. Okay, that is an everlasting light. Therefore, it should always be shining out of us. And not, not like how uh, in Matthew chapter 5 where it talks about a candlestick put under, uh, is it a basket or a bushel? A bushel, yeah. Rather than hiding the light, 
setting it up out there so they can see it. Okay? And so the Lord, the Lord knew that they would be watching him. And so, you know, he, uh, he does what he always did. He took the opportunity to teach them and then make this statement. And then, and then in this same setting, so they questioned his power. They questioned his, uh, his company, if you will. And now they're going to start questioning this uh, matter of fasting. Okay, verse number 18, And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast, and they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus, well, let's, let's put a pause right there. The Pharisees, you know, they, they fasted and prayed for the show. You know, they, they wanted that attention because, oh, that, that's what the spiritual do. That's what, that's what the real godly people do, Brother Lauren. So, you know, we're going to do this or everybody will, you know, put the stamp of righteousness on us. They, they, uh, they were messed up. I'll just put it that way. So, you know, why not the disciples then? Honestly, I think this is a hard question to figure out if it's sincere or trickery, okay, if it was a setup question. And honestly, with, with, with just the personality and traits that we see from the scribes and Pharisees, more than likely it was a setup question. And uh, Jesus, he answers with this, this analogy or this parable, if you will. The parable is um, simply... Uh, a, uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Verse number 19, it says, And Jesus said unto them, again a question, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have not the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. So the analogy that Jesus goes to is in the setting of a, um, an engagement and a wedding. Okay? Nowadays, you know, engagements can last however long. <laughs> Kenzie and I, we lasted three months. You know, that was, that, was uh, that took some work in three months to get the wedding set up for that. But in these days, these engagements, if you will, were much longer. We even have this uh, matter of betrothed. They were betrothed. So these long engagements. So, you know, when, when he asked them, can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? Basically saying, you know, the fasting is over because the bridegroom has arrived. Okay? So the wedding day is here. It's time for joy and excitement. And the analogy, the meaning behind this is the message of salvation. Jesus Christ has come into the world. Now, it's a two-sided coin because you have joy and suffering. Verse number 20, But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. So, they question him about this fasting, and the Lord turns it into, you know, I don't want to say an innuendo, but a, uh, an analogy hinting at salvation through Him and not your fasting and praying on the corners of the streets like the Pharisees did and things of that nature. 
And then there are some further examples. In verse number 21 and 22, <clears throat> we have two parables, one with cloth and the other one with uh, um, wine bottles. Verse number 21, No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. I had to do some research on this because I never did a lot of sewing growing up, believe it or not. <laughs> but evidently, when you sew on a new uh, a new cloth as a patch, if it's not pre-shrunk or anything, when you wash the two together, that new cloth shrinks and then it tears on the older garment, and so the tear is worse. Okay, so you can correct me on all that later if you want or give me some more info. I'd appreciate it. But basically, the message here in this verse is that something new is taking place. The old and the new are incompatible with each other. Okay? Again, in verse number 22, And no man putteth new wine into old... And and by the way, wine in the Bible is not the kind of wine we have today. It's totally different. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred, but the new wine must be put into new bottles. Now, you can search that word bottles in your, uh, in your Strong's Concordance, and it's, it's like a, a bag. It's translated as a bottle, but it's not actually a bottle. It's like a bag made out of... Uh, leather skins of some sort or whatever the material was. And so the this wine, apparently it, you know, the it stretched, or not it stretched, it expanded as it aged. And so these old bottles, these old bags were stretched to the limit. So if we filled that bottle with a new wine, that would expand more, and then the bag would break. So this new wine has to be put into a new bag. Again, the old is not compatible with the new. Something is different. Something is happening. And what has happened as believers is we became a new creature. Listen to this. Put Write, write this down. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26. I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there. A new heart... Also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you, and I will give you a heart of... Um, so, in order for God to give us this new heart and a new spirit, He had to give us a new body. You can't put this new heart and new spirit inside an old uh, legalistic or this old legalistic body or system, if you would. Otherwise, the new creature would fail. We had to have a new body, and we have that because when we got saved, all things are passed away, all things are become new. We are a new creature. We don't live under the old law. We don't live under the Old Testament anymore. We live under the New Testament. And so... They've questioned his power. They've questioned his company. They've questioned. They have questioned his. Uh, I don't know if I read it to you. Actually, they questioned his disciples' 
fasting, these the acts of his followers, if you will, the actions of his followers. And then verse number 23, they begin to question his lordship over the Sabbath. They, they misunderstand this. Verse number 23, And it came to pass that, as, that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? Okay? And so the Pharisees, well... I'll hold on to that for a second. Verse number 25, And he said unto them, Have you never read what David did when he had need and was and hungered, he and they that were with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar the high priest and did eat the, the shoe bread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest, and gave also to them that which were with him. So he uses a passage from the Old Testament one that the Pharisees would have been uh, familiar with. They should have been well acquainted with this passage. And, and this passage he's referring to is back in 1 Samuel chapter 21, where it was David and his men uh, fleeing from their enemies. And so they, they gather some food. And yeah, it was not lawful for them to do so. But what Jesus says in verse number 27 and he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. So he is telling them that, actually in the book of Matthew, when you read this same passage, you know, the harmony of the Gospels, if you go over to Matthew, there's a verse in there that says, One is greater than the temple. He is telling them, I am greater than these things. I am Lord of this day. The Sabbath was made for man. It wasn't made for Jesus Christ. It was a day for them to rest. It was a day for them to be spiritually filled with the Word of God. And so today, that would that would translate to uh, our church attendance. Okay, so people, you know, question why do we go to why do we go to church? What's the point? Well. It's a good opportunity because, you know, I, we get something at church that we don't get anywhere else. If you're in a good Bible-believing church, by the way. <laughs> Especially in these days today, um, how many have, you know, made the excuse not to come to church because of these other things going on. And I understand and appreciate the cautious, you know, when you're sick and things like that. But we really, and Brother Roger has preached this as well, you know, church attendance, being with the believers is critical to not only our spiritual growth, but to help us get through the week, starting that day off in church, starting with a strong, uh, strong, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A strong, um, starting the week off with the priority 
of going to church, to starting with that best foot forward. You know how a race racers will line up and they put their best foot forward. Starting your week off right with the priority of going to church, to hearing God's word, to spending time with believers, to invest, not spend, invest that first day of the week to get something from God and then go through our daily routine during the week. So, you know, people, uh, they, don't, they don't understand why we come to church. They don't understand many of these people that crawl past this pass us on this highway, they don't understand why we're here three nights out of the week. Well, it's because they don't understand what they can get from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, until you and, and until we don't, you and I, we don't make an effort to tell them, then they're not going to know. And so, when people, uh, you know, when they question God's power to us, when they question what we do, when they question where we go, when they question who we're with, every single one of these is the perfect opportunity to speak up and speak out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, remaining in prayer, and I, I know that this point is probably redundant, but remaining in prayer is the key. And remaining strongly rooted in the Word of God, those two things are the ultimate keys in making an effort. Because if we don't rely on God when talking to these people, if we rely on our own knowledge, then we're not going to be as effective for Him. Because the Lord knows the Spirit. He knows the heart that we're talking to. And therefore, His leadership, if we humble ourselves and and uh, present ourselves as a tool for Him to use, well, then He can use it properly for that given situation rather than us just, you know, winging it ourselves. Chapter number 3 in verse 1 um is the last of the five questionings that take place here. And it came to pass that he went through... I'm sorry. Chapter 3 and verse 1, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And verse number 2 is interesting. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. You remember those atheists that I told you about last week? How they went to that uh, tent revival, looking, listening specifically to Billy Graham and you know how they might be able to take him down? This is the exact same thing right here. And so there they are. They're watching him and they are, they're, uh, they're waiting for him to say something. And, and verse number 3 says, And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. Now, reading in between the lines there, I'm sure the Lord knew that uh, those people, those guys, the scribes and Pharisees, that they were there. And yet he, you know, in each one of these, he knew they were there. And he kept doing. He was... He pursued his mission, his calling, and what, what God had for him to do. And 
in this account, there's actually um, a few different questions that the Lord is asking. Verse number four, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. Okay. Now, over in Matthew, when you read about this over in the book of Matthew, in chapter number 12, I'll read it for you real quick because I know we've all, uh, I know you're tired and have had a long day. I'll just get it for you here. When they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him, in the book of Matthew, uh, the questioning is worded a little differently. And Jesus started by saying, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much better, how much then is a man better than his sheep? And then he asked the questions, you know, is it lawful to do good or evil on the Sabbath days to save life or to kill? And then if you read over in Luke, after they held their peace, the Bible says, Sister Emma, in the book of Luke, that he looked upon them and was grieved. He was grieved that these Pharisees were questioning these things, that they hated the Lord Jesus so much that they had misplaced priority, they had missed everything. And so then that spoke to my heart during this study of the week. How does the Lord feel whenever I miss an opportunity? If I, you know, if I know the opportunity is there and I don't take it, if I don't and I know that I'm supposed to be doing that, it grieves the Lord because He sets open, He sets up that opportunity for us, and then I fail to take it. Jesus was a pursuing man, and we ought to pursue our opportunities like He did, and we're only going to be able to do that if we stay focused on what our purpose is. And sometimes, whenever they do ask a question, sometimes we do need to ask a question back. Even if it's not, even if you know it's not a set-up question, even if you know, Faith, that it's a sincere question. The reason why you got to ask them a question is to understand a little more about where they're coming from. Understand more about what their question is and then we'll be able to help them more. So those are just some practical and simple truths. I know that they're Familiar truths, I know that uh, we're all aware of these things, but this is what uh, the Lord had placed on my heart for the week. And uh, it's uh, my prayer that it's been a, a help and a blessing to you. I'll have a word of prayer, and then I'll turn it over to Brother Roger. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you, Lord, again for the opportunity to gather at your house tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the truth and the example that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible, Lord, and how we can look to Him as our supreme example of what a servant ought to be. I pray, Lord, that as we go about our routines and jobs during the week, I pray that we would meditate upon these things and how we can better serve You, Lord, and to stand our ground, Lord, when the world battles against us and seeks to take us down. May we remember 
your power, Lord, and that you are our stronghold in the day of trouble. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. Thank you most of all for Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name.